work hard, be pleasant. Okay. Don't be a jerk. No one likes a shouter. Don't throw temper tantrums and be honest. Tell people the truth. Don't be recklessly blunt like I was in my youth, because I'm sure there's, you know, that's cost me some things. But being flat out honest made my career. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by Inveris. Do me a favor, click the link in the show notes and fill out a 60-second survey. And we'll send you some OGGN laptop stickers or hard hat stickers, whatever you like. All right, let's get this party started. I'm here this afternoon with Jordan Driscoll, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Petroledger Financial Services. How's it going, Jordan? It's going well. How are you doing? Not too shabby. Kind of suffering from the allergies of what we call autumn here in Texas. <laughs> hey, at least we're getting an autumn, right? It's still sort of summery. We have a cold front coming through. I think it'll get down to 80s, into the 80s. So you're a lot luckier because you're up north. (laughs) I mean, yeah, in so much as we can call Abilene the north, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a whole lot more north than Houston. Sure is. Yeah. So you'll get that first and you'll probably get just, you know, dry, wonderful weather, cooling down. Do you have... Do the trees turn up there like pretty colors? Well, I mean, the first problem is there aren't really a lot of trees to speak of. So, I mean, I don't know that mesquite turns. Nobody's coming (laughs) here for the holidays to watch the trees turn. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) I will say, you know, to the temperatures you guys are experiencing, I went outside and ate lunch today at the park, Mm -hmm. you know, because it was like 65 and sunny. So that was. Oh, wow. Super jealous. Yeah, it was nice. Very good. Well, let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Sure. So that was completely by accident. I was a assistant controller at a sport boat manufacturing company, and I ended up getting laid off through a whole... I'm actually not even sure. I never signed anything, I don't think, so I could probably say whatever I want. But <laughs> to be tasteful, I won't go into all the details, but let's just say that there was a very expensive wedding happening with an owner that required some changes in the bottom line cash flow, which resulted in quite a fair number of people getting laid off, including myself. And so I was, you know, that was that. My boss, who had liked me quite a bit at the time, she put me in touch with Charlie Wolf, who ran Wolfpack Software, which is an oil and gas accounting software company based here in Abilene. And he hired me, you know, that following week. So, I mean, I can't complain. I wasn't unemployed all that long. I think I clocked a solid four days or something. So, wow. Yeah, that's not terrible at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it worked out okay. (laughs) So, so yeah, I mean, I came into it. My background was sort of a, you know, I'd been assistant controller for a couple of years and I've worked in the accounting department at this company, but my, you know, education prior to that was legal. So anyway, yeah, I started Wolfpack in their customer success, basically customer service division. I knew nothing about oil and gas other than the fact that if I went to the fuel pump and I put gas in my car, my car would go places. Turns out that that's, you know, a derivative of oil, in fact, and not gas, which I now know. So, hey, education. (laughs) It was very much an accident. You know, they hired me because I had an accounting background, but not because I knew anything about oil and gas, and I had to kind of learn it all there on the fly. And they hit, you know, sort of every part of accounting, really. I mean, from the production side to, you know, revenue disbursement, joint interest billing, first purchasers, you know, all that sort of good stuff. So it was a pretty broad education taken very, very quickly. So that's pretty much how I got into it. I worked my way up from there and got into their data conversions team where we converted stuff from other softwares into Wolfpack. 
and then eventually worked my way into there and, you know, somehow got into management and that just kind of took off from there. But, you know, yeah, it was, it was entirely by accident. I didn't mean to get into oil and gas. I've been <laughs> here now for, I think, eight years. So I think I'm sort of just in. Yeah, no. Yeah, you're pretty much in, bud. Sorry, you, yeah, you can't leave it. now. You must stay. <laughs> must stay. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, yeah, in jail, just visiting. Not really. You're actually just in. So here we are. <laughs> well, that's interesting because you and I met on the Nate floor a couple of years ago. And weren't they the company that was like right across the way that you pointed out to me? Wolfpack. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yes. They just merged with Land Vantage, I think. Yeah. They've so Wolfpack has gone through. So when I started at Wolfpack, they were owned, you know, by the founder Charlie Wolf, and he sold it a couple of years after I started to Fort Point Capital out of Boston, and then they held it for a couple of years, and then they sold it to Charles Bank, which is also out of Boston, which I guess is just where private equity lives. Uh-huh. And then they've still got it. That was a two and a half ish years ago that Charles Bank bought it. Anyway, ever since Charles Bank bought it, or really since it went to private equity, they've done a ton of acquisitions. They got Land Vantage, they bought Scout, they bought I mean, there's I could rattle off the whole list of their acquisitions. There's probably been a good seven or eight acquisitions they've made in the time that I worked there and since I've left. So yeah, they're buying stuff left, right, and center, including land manage. So Yeah, yeah, and I know those guys very well. So Shout out to Drew Hopkins over there. Yeah, yeah, Drew. Yeah, he's one of my buddies. Well, you're going to see him at Nate because he's running the Nate Prep for, you know, and now it's called Pack Energy, the software company formerly known as Wolfpack. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, actually, yeah, I had to go look at my LinkedIn for that. <laughs> yeah, it identifies as Pack Energy now. So <laughs> it, it identifies. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. So now that we're past that point, let's talk about your current role Mm -hmm. and what you do. So what I do is pretty much what it says on the 10, Vice President Sales and Marketing. So I've got a marketing director that reports to me that handles the marketing team. And then I've got my senior account executive slash sales manager who reports to me and handles the sales side of the business. And yeah, basically our goal is to promote and sell outsourced accounting services for energy sector companies. I used to say oil and gas is almost exclusively, but we've taken on a few renewables in the past couple of years because the accounting is pretty similar, honestly. I mean, everybody's still selling interests of things and, you know, doing jibs and dispersing revenue. So it's kind of the same regardless of yeah. what's... Yeah. Yeah. So we got a few of those, but I mean, like 98% of our book of business is obviously oil and gas. And so, yeah, you know, we're selling you know, accounting services. You don't want to do it in-house or you acquire something you don't have the manpower to handle or you're divesting something, whatever the case may be. You got to have accounting and we provide that service. So, Right. Well, what made you go from being an accountant to actually overseeing sales and marketing? That's kind of a jump, right? My career is a tale of bizarre jumps that none of them make any sense. So when I was at Wolfpack... I started off, like I said, in customer success, which was all about helping the end client with their software and accounting related questions. I went into the data conversions team and that was all about doing the actual data conversions. Now, to be frankly honest, I was not the best data nerd in the company. I was not the best data nerd in that department. It takes a lot. It takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot, and I'm just not as smart as the people I worked with. They were all way better <laughs> at the actual, the crunchy stuff. Than I was fine. Yeah. I, mean, I wasn't bad, but I wasn't great. Nobody was going to give me an award for, oh, man, you were so fast with that data. Boy, your your pivot table is really amazing. <laughs> you can code SQL real well, son. No, I mean, I can get by if you put a gun to my head, but it wasn't Oh, I'm right there with you. Winning. Accounting is definitely not my strong suit. Right, right. And then when you get into, you know, the coding back and all that. But what I was good at was professional services data conversion specifically. I mean, you can ask any software company out there, you know, at least at this altitude. You know, you talk to your PAC Energies, your OG Sys by Quorum, your W Energies, any of these guys. I mean, data conversions are really hard to do because one, they're quite expensive and they're quite time consuming and nobody, it's very easy to mess them up, which causes a huge domino effect of complications, including potentially losing you know, the deal. Right. Right. And so the thing that I was good at was I was 
fine at doing the work, but I was way better at looking at the whole project and saying, okay, here's going to be a pain point. Here's going to be a pain point. These are the problems. Here's how long it's realistically going to take. Here's what it's really going to cost in resources. And then I was really good at communicating that to the client and saying, okay, here's the real deal. This is what it's going to be. And here's why. And so very quickly, my boss at the time was kind of like, okay, you're fine at doing data conversions, but you're way better at project managing. Like, you know how to converse with the client and keep things on track and blah, blah, yeah, blah. I was going to go, I was going to say big picture. That's right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You can't trust me with the minuscule details. I mean, ask my marketing director. <laughs> so they promote me a project manager. I did that for, I don't know. I'd have to go look at my resume or my LinkedIn or something, but <laughs> for like a year or something, a couple of months, I don't know, a little while. And then got promoted to senior project manager. And then there was a data conversion we had that was a really, really big one for a big, important client. And everybody in the company, we I remember very specifically, we were in a meeting with the CEO, Brent Rimes at the time, the chief operating officer, who was my, my, is my boss's boss, I guess, is Bill Hobbs. And then Mike Matthews, who was my boss, the director of pro services. And he was like, and I guess I'd been senior project manager for a couple of months or six months or a year or something. I don't remember how long I'd been doing it. And everybody was in there going, well, we want to close this deal. So we need to like discount the conversion and we need to do all these things. And everybody was in the room when the CEO said this, like, oh, absolutely. We can do that. Absolutely. Yep. That can work. And then I don't remember even how I got invited. I think the COO insisted I be there because he figured I would just say whatever I thought, which I would, which historically wasn't always great for my career. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, take that for what you will. And so then... The COO looks at me and goes, well, Jordan, what do you think? And I was like, honestly, he goes, well, yeah, that's why you're in here. I'm like, all right, I no, it's not going to happen. There's no way it's going to happen in that time frame. It's going to cost four times that much. It's going to take three times as long. This is what's going to happen. This is not going to work. We're going to be paying for this for a long time if we do it. It's going to be a loss leader. Everybody was like, ah, well, I don't think so. And I was like, well, all right, but I just think you're wrong. Because <laughs> I was young and dumb. <laughs> and I haven't gotten, I've gotten older, but not a lot smarter. <laughs> And they're like, well, you seem to feel pretty strongly about this. I was like, oh, yeah, it's 100% going to be a train wreck. And everybody else was like, oh, no, no, we've got it. And I was like, all right, well, listen, man, I'm the lowest ranking, least important person in the room. So do whatever you want. Right. No what I think. So we signed the deal. We do this thing. And then like six months later, it's just this slog. And it's not even my team working on it. It went to another team and they're like bogged down and they're over budget and over in all these things. And so I get a call from the COO and he goes, Hey, you're going to meet me in, in Brent's office, the CEO's office. And and I was like, cool. Well, <laughs> nice knowing everybody. You know, I guess it's a good thing. I only keep one box worth of stuff in my office in case I need to make a quick <laughs> getaway, <laughs> get disgraced and shamed, you know, posthumously. <laughs> and so I go to Brent's office and I walk in, it's him and the COO. And they're like, so let's talk about this data conversion. I was like, all right. They're like, so you're the only person that sat in here and looked us in the eyes and said that this was going to happen. I was like, well, yeah, you asked me my opinion. That's what it was. They're like, well, why didn't anybody else chime in? I'm like, well, you guys wanted this deal to happen. So they're going to tell you what you want to hear. I mean, that's how this works. They didn't feel, well, why didn't you say that? And I was like, well, because I don't care. I don't have a career. I'm a nobody. Like I could be gone tomorrow. It doesn't matter. I can go get another job. It's fine. It doesn't matter if you like what I have to say or not. Again, I probably could have put it more diplomatically, but at this point, I thought I was already on my way out the door anyway. Right. They said, well, this cost us a huge amount of money. And I said, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> told you. <ya. laughs> <laughs> Pro tip, don't say I told you so to the CEO. Yeah. Just go, I know. <laughs> and they said, well, we're making an organizational change. And I said, okay. And they said, we're going to make you the director of professional services. And I was like, well, that's kind of a quite a jump. And they're like, well, yeah, but you're the only one that actually seems to understand how all these pieces work. And you communicate it to the clients and you, your team is the only one that gets stuff done on time and when it's supposed to and all of this. And we need you to do that for the whole department. I'm like, well, okay, how much are you going to pay me? Naturally. Right. I'm a mercenary, if nothing else. Right. <laughs> but what was interesting about that transition was, you know, Friday I left work. And I worked for the director. I answered to him. And then the next day I came in, he worked for me. Wow. So it was a very weird dynamic. Now, he was an absolute gentleman. He's one of the best human beings I've ever worked with. He was a phenomenal guy. 
there was never a problem. I mean, I could not have been luckier. I mean, aside from the fact he's just a brilliant human being, he was just super kind about it. And he didn't want the job. He was like, listen, I'm happy for you to have it. This was not my thing. I'm no ego about it. Just a good, good guy. So, yeah, I very much lucked out in that regard. But it was very weird for me to come in and be like, okay, cool. So I'm going to tell you what I need you to do now. Yeah. Anyways, that was a long-winded answer to get to your original question. My apologies. Oh, no, this is great. The role of director meant that I no longer actually had to do any grunt work, right? Which is good because I was mediocre at best. But I had to do a lot more of the big picture, you know, all the logistics and the strategy and who's going to be where, doing what, and how long, and communicating that to the clients and so forth. And eventually I decided, because I'm kind of a lunatic, that sales couldn't communicate how, you know, sales would always look at the price of the conversion and go, it's too high. The client will never sign off on that. It won't work. And I was like, well, you just don't know how to tell it to them. And they're like, well, we're salespeople. We know what we're doing. I'm like, eh, but you don't. <laughs> well, at least you're self-aware. <laughs> right, Liz, I, I know what I can't do. You guys need to know what you can't do. And I was good friends with the head of sales. And I said, listen, man, I need you to just from now on, don't let your people talk about the data conversion. If there's going to be a data conversion, bring me in and I'm going to sell it. And he's like, well, okay. And then we started closing them. And so at that point, we made it to where all the actual sales of pro services went through me and my managers because we knew how to communicate the value of that service in a way that was just very different from the software side of the sale. And eventually, you know, I got reached out to by at the time, Eddie Dreyer Financial Services. And they said, Hey, we, and you know, they're a company that does outsource conversions and transactional accounting and all this. And they said, well, Hey, we want to start a sales and marketing team. And I said, okay, well, Good luck. <laughs> they said, well, you have all these conversations. You know how to sell you know, this. You're selling this service. You're already doing that. You know, you may not have traditionally been in sales, but you just started doing that for, for Wolfpack. And so I ended up going there and starting it. And I hired a really, really good marketing director right out the gate, Jonathan Carroll, who, you know, sadly has moved on, but he was fantastic. And his replacement, Mandy's been fantastic. But between that and a couple of, you know, decent sales folks, yeah, I mean, it is right. I was having those, com I was selling this exact service, even though that wasn't the job, that was kind of the job, right? And so getting up to speed on the marketing side of it and having a good support system of folks to help execute that is kind of how I wound up here. And like I said, it's weird and circuitous and doesn't make a ton of sense, but here we are and we've done pretty well, so... My team's done a great job. I just get all the credit. <laughs> oh, well, then I'm going to give credit to the team. Yeah, they should have that because <laughs> yeah. I'm like the, you know, God rest her, the queen of England. You know, I'm ceremonial at this point. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, so let's get into leadership. What is leadership to you? So I think it's a lot of things. I think when you get to this point, you're primary, I would say, first off, it's having good people and letting go of the wheel a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm having to make all the decisions, I'll put it to you this way. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of, I'm trying to think through this. In my opinion, if I'm better than you at a job, then I've hired the wrong person. Yeah. Right? Once you hit VP, my job is identifying talent, keeping that talent, handling really big picture strategy, handling the finance side of the business, making sure we're you know able to you know generate profit and keep the lights on and food on plates and all of that. If I am better at closing a deal than my salespeople, I've hired the wrong salespeople. If I am better at graphic design, which I'm sure we could not, <laughs> than my marketers, then I've hired the wrong marketers. Yeah. So that's part of it. And I think the other half is it's communication. You have to be able to identify talent. You have to be able to communicate effectively what it is that the big picture goal is and get that buy-in from the team so that they're just as invested in that success as you are. And you've got to be able to let go of the wheel and let them execute with as little roadblocks as possible. And Sometimes my day is just getting roadblocks out of their way with other parts of the organization or whatever the situation, maybe it's our IT vendor, you know, 
enabling them to be able to perform with as few outside roadblocks as possible. Does that make sense? Yeah. Basically what I'm hearing is don't be a micromanager. Don't be a micromanager, get buy-in on the vision, you know, sell them on why this is a thing that's important to do and then clear the way so they can go do it. The rest of the time it's, you're the guardrails, right? You're making sure that, Hey, this is the lane we're going to be in. I'm going to be the guardrails, but any one of these three lanes you need to be in to get ahead of the pack, that's how we're going to do this. So yeah, that's kind of my personal philosophy. I'm a big believer in letting people make decisions. Don't get me wrong. As my sales or marketing managers will tell you, the moment I think you're going to cause an accident, I will step in and veto something. (laughs) You know, with my UN Security Council veto there, I'll drop that down. But I'm also, if it's not a huge crisis, if it's not a big giant mistake, I might see the problem you're going to run into and just let you run into it so that we can learn from that. And then we'll have a conversation afterwards and say, okay, what happened? What did you pick up from this? Because you also have to let people fail sometimes in a minor way in order for them to learn. I mean, I had this conversation a while back with someone and they were saying, well, I really want to let these managers, you know, run this thing, but they're just not ready for it yet. And I'm going, well, if you keep handling it all yourself, they're never going to get ready. Well, yeah, but they're going to make mistakes. Sure are. Yep. And there's going to be some bumps along the way and that's fine. You got to let them get there. And you've got to develop that talent because if you don't, you're always going to be the crutch and they're never going to be ready. I mean, it's like having kids, right? I was just about to say, this sounds very parental. But it is. is. You're never ready for it until it happens and you just have to deal with it. And yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on it. It's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief at OGGN, and the energy industry faces challenges every day. And the events of the last two years have caused disruptions like never before. Companies in the energy industry need actual intelligence and a single source of truth that brings all the data together. Eneverus is the energy specialized technology partner that provides intelligent connections for the global energy ecosystem. Only Eneverus has the analytics, people, experience, and industry scope to connect the right data and information in the right way to discover missed opportunities and deliver fast outcomes. Find out more at eneverus.com. That's E-N-V-E-R-U-S.com. So what's probably the hardest thing you've had to go through as a leader? I mean, it's such a vast, such a big question. Do you have an example of maybe a situation you've gone through that maybe you had some learning to do? Oh, yeah. Let's see. So probably one of the harder things. So for instance, Petroledger is a merger between the resource group and Eddie Dreyer, right? And I started on the Eddie side and we merged and we formed this new company between the two because they were both owned by the same consortium of partners in the background and all of that. But, you know, for me, I have the way that I want things to run, right? I mean, every leader, every manager has their own sort of schema on how they run their department, their team, whatever the nomenclature is. And probably for me, one of the things I've had to really learn in this role, especially after that merger and absorbing and having to work, you know, I mean, when you're dealing with any mergers, and I would say mergers are probably one of the more tricky things because you're merging not just corporate entities, but cultures, right? And everyone's nervous. Everyone's worried about the power dynamic and who's going to have a job and who's not or where the lines are going to get redrawn on who's responsible for what. And, you know, even not being worried about that being, you know, knowing that I'm the only one of my kind in either of these companies, so I've got a job no matter what, but there's still folks that you have to interact with that are losing, you know, like in our case, when we we merged, there were folks that used to handle as a part-time thing, sales and marketing functions that now fell into my department. They didn't own that anymore, or they had to kind of work through me under that umbrella and they just weren't used to it. And you know, one of the things that I would say for me personally is sometimes challenging. And you know me personally, right? You and I have hung out on many occasions. We've put back a few drinks. We've yeah, talked. for sure. I can be very diplomatic when I need to be, but that's rarely my go-to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not my first play. Typically, I'm very. Yeah, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm a jerk, but I mean, I'm. You know, I'll tell you what. <laughs> tell you what I think about a situation, and learning how to moderate that more 
and realizing, okay, listen, this person did a thing not because they have an agenda, but because they are trying to do what they think is right. And they're nervous about the changes as much as I'm, you know, frustrated by this one thing not happening the way it should have. That's been a learning curve for me in some ways because, you know, it's tricky for everybody, you know, and being able to take a step back, take a couple of breaths, go outside for some fresh air and go, okay, this isn't deliberate. I don't need to blow up at this person. I don't need to like have a rage tantrum in my office. Gordon <laughs> Ramsey out on this thing. I need to take a breath. I need to think through it. And we need to have a conversation again, nine out of 10 problems in leadership come down to a failure of communication. And I'm not the first person to say that. And I won't be the last. Right. Yeah. But it is jumping to conclusions. It's mind reading what you think other people are doing and then flying off the handle with that limited information. And guess what? I could say this pretty solidly. Nobody listening to this is a mind reader. Yeah. You don't know what your counterparts in the organization are thinking. And don't make assumptions. Exactly. Because you don't have all the facts. So get the context before you make a decision. And that's the thing. The other biggest challenge that I ran into, and I ran to this quite a bit at Wolfpack, you know, I was there for six years. And, you know, when I hit director, which was a huge jump and very unexpected, I had, I believe I was many years younger than most of my staff. Yeah, I already feel what's coming here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they felt threatened. Maybe. Maybe. So I had three managers that worked under me, and one of them was my age, and she was a rock star. She earned every bit of that manager's title. I was just phenomenal person. And then the other two were a good bit older than I was. You know, in the one case, you know, like, well, actually, in both cases, they were about 20 years older than me. We're not quite 20, probably 15 or so. Old enough that it was noticeable. Let's put it that way. And with one of them, yeah, it really was a bit of a problem. And then I even had staff that were under those individuals who were, you know, you know, more frontline staff. Most of them were older than I was. And one of them in one case had been my original supervisor when I started out at the company. <laughs> oh no. And now I'm this person's boss's boss's boss, you know, there were one or two people that had a real problem. I mean, flat out told me, listen, you shouldn't be in charge because you're only 35 or whatever. You just haven't been around long enough to know what you're doing. And I'm like, well, okay, look at the P&L for this department. Let's re-examine <laughs> shall we? But yeah, I mean, that was quite a struggle also because there's so few good arguments. Like when you're having that kind of discourse with somebody and they're just all about, ah, oh, you're just not old enough to do this. It doesn't really matter how well you perform because you're just not old enough to do it. You're not tall enough to ride the ride, you mm, know? Yeah. And that's problematic. Ageism. Yeah, it kind of was, you know? And I mean, at the time when I was started at Wolfpack, there was a very vast gap. We had maybe three or four employees who were under 35, and then you had everyone else. Literally, I think the next youngest person was probably... 50. Oh, wow. And so, That's I mean, don't get me wrong. Gap. It's a huge gap. And don't get me wrong. Like by the time I left, that had shifted dramatically. You know, it's amazing what private equity <laughs> will do yeah. when it comes to talent acquisition and all those things, those deep Boston pockets. But at the time, yeah, there was a huge age gap. And being the 35-year-old who was being put in charge of a, you know, 25, 30-person department, there were some people that were just they thought that, you know, I was the Antichrist. I was, no, no, you're a young whippersnapper. You don't know what you're doing. You know, and truth be told, I didn't. But, you know, they didn't need to just assume that. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the assumptions. Exactly. So, so yeah, I would say those are probably two of the bigger challenges is, you know, merging cultures during a merger. And then if you're a new young manager navigating employees who have one been with company because like in the one case of the one person that really really had a pro in fact they did not stay with us you know they had been there for twice as long as i had and you know well things just work themselves out you know they do they do so yeah those were some of the bigger challenges i've faced i would say so what's your favorite part about being a leader okay so i'm gonna speak very honestly here my absolute favorite part well, all right, this isn't really about being a leader, but it is about, you know, being the VP. 
my favorite part is that I just get to make my own schedule. <laughs> hey, I'm right there with you. I will agree with that. Yeah. Making my own schedule, sleeping you, you, when you want. And yeah. Within reason. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've still got meetings and things I have to get to. But if I want to be up until three in the morning working my emails or doing whatever, it doesn't matter. If I drift in at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock, it doesn't matter. If I can, you know, it's like today I came in at seven because I was up and I had things to do while the office was quiet. Other days I'll stay late and, you know, so that latitude is very nice. I like that a lot. As far as being a leader in the actual true sense of what you asked, I think my favorite thing, and it's going to sound a little cheesy, but it's honest. I love promoting people up and giving them the opportunity to grow and advance. And maybe there's a little bit of egotism here, but I always like to think that when you find someone good and you get to kind of elevate them and let them, you know, go up and up and up and eventually, you know, hopefully surpass you, you kind of get a little bit of that joy of having made their life better. You know, that's not cheesy. That's heartwarming. Well, I feel silly to say that out loud, but I really like to think that, you know, most of my folks, their life is better. They come into work, they like what they're doing and their life is improved by what they're doing. You know, so I don't know. Either it's heartwarming or it's the first stages of my descent towards becoming a, you know, North Korean dictator. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Kim Jong Driscoll here is, you know, improving the people. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Maybe I should change my Instagram handle. <laughs> oh, that, that would be hilarious. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> That'd be fun. That'd be funny. <laughs> so let's change it up a little bit okay. and if you had a piece of, of advice to give our audience what would it be okay good question my advice so i'm going to answer this targeted at a few different folks if you are a relatively young employee who's earlier in their career and you are not in a leadership or managerial position then my advice to you is Work hard, be pleasant. Okay, don't be a jerk. No one likes a shouter. Don't throw temper tantrums and be honest. Tell people the truth. Don't be recklessly blunt like I was in my youth because I'm sure there's, you know, that's cost me some things. But being flat out honest made my career. That's how I got to this very nice lifestyle that I lead. Very good. That is the thing. Don't tell people what they want to hear, tell people what they need to hear and do it in a nice fashion. Don't be a jerk about it. If you are a new manager or director or young VP like myself, the best advice I can give is context is king. Before you make a decision, before you open your mouth and say something, I mean, I'm guilty of this as anybody, but I try not to be, understand the context of everything that's going on before you start making decisions. Because at the end of the day, if you're in management, you are not necessarily in the trenches in the same way that you were before, and the decisions you make have ramifications well beyond just an individual, a team, a department. They will ripple out across an entire organization, depending upon what your position is, and you need to understand the context. Take the time to figure out what is really going on in a situation and really give it the time. You know, I step outside and have that cigar break or something, you know, take some time to process before you make decisions. Context is king. That's what I would say to any relatively new or young manager, director, VP. Good, good, good advice. Do you have a book that's influenced you? I have many books. How much they influence me is all subject. So obviously Dune, if you're a nerd, <laughs> not to mention the oil and gas allegory is just delightful. Probably from a work standpoint, one of my favorites, I'm glancing at my shelf right now. Yeah, most people do when I ask that. It's pretty funny. Never Split the Difference. I always love that one. Chris Voss, I think, wrote that. I say I think he wrote that. I'm literally looking at it on my shelf. Yes, he did write that. <laughs> I like that. It's about negotiation. It's very interesting. I like Traction quite a lot by Wickman. It's, uh, I mean, the guy gets a little carried away with his trademark terms and all that, but the concepts in it are really solid and very simple and 
simplicity is key. Absolutely. So I'm 100% behind that. Those are kind of the two big ones that are at the top of my mind right now because I just got done rereading both of them. Yeah, I'm going to stick with those two for now, but I'm sure there's a thousand others that I could reference. Right. I think I'm just about to start the Challenger sale. So Ooh, let me know we'll how, that, how goes. that goes. Yeah, for sure. So what's your most used business tool? My most used business tool? Well, probably most used is Outlook, but that's because my inbox is my own personal Vietnam. Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> I hate email. Same. So much. I declared email bankruptcy a few weeks ago after vacation and just decided, well, if you need me, try again. <laughs> now I loathe email. I have a rule, and you can ask anybody that works for me. When you start on day one, I send this nice welcome email and I you know, give them the lay of the land. I say, okay, here's some tips for working with me. If you email me something, <laughs> make sure that it doesn't require a ton of reading or more than a couple word response. If it's more than that, either come to my office or call me. I don't care what time it is, but I'd rather have a conversation than an email because I'm guarantee I'm going to have follow-up questions. And the last thing I want to do is try and keep an email chain in my head when it takes you like half an hour to get back, my brain's moving too fast. I don't have time for that. Just come in here. Let's hash it out in person or on the phone or whatever. And then let's move on. I don't want mm. to try and keep this in my head. So yeah, no, same. There. And I'm just awful with deleting stuff because I'm very, Oh, I'm very good at deleting stuff. Uh, well, <laughs> my background is regulatory compliance. So I'm very CYA. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. So like it's, beyond overwhelming so i like getting an email when an action item is in right. there and that's it yep probably my most used tool that i don't hate not counting my inbox <laughs> would probably be hubspot we use that as our crm and all of our marketing and sales stuff th flows through it not to give them a plug or anything but i like i know a lot, a lot of people that love it yeah yeah. So I have no complaints there that, you know, and, you know, obviously the cell phone. I mean, I can run my entire department from anywhere with this thing. So isn't that you know, wild? Geezer, but yeah, this is. Yeah. It's wild, you know, that we came from a totally different time where cell phones didn't exist when, you know, we were younger. So, yeah. I mean, I'm always impressed by the amount of things I can do on here. And again, I mean, I'm 38. Like, I shouldn't move the cell phone. My goodness. Wow. Well, that's right. We're the same age. Yeah, yeah. Still, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cell phone. I know. But yeah, I would say HubSpot's my favorite because I can do so many things in HubSpot that it allows me to go into one system and not have to go into a ton of others. You know, if I want to see my email campaign metrics, I can go into that and see it. If I want to see my social media statistics, it's all in there. If I want to see where my sales are at and what my account reps are up to, I've got it all in there. Like, there's one system to go into that shows me everything that 80% of the time I need to see on a hour by hour, day by day basis. Awesome. So yeah. That's what I would say. Great. For this particular job. For the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is the job we're talking about. So it's what, <laughs> what pays the bills right now and lets me enjoy my lifestyle. So <laughs> very good. Who is your most respected competitor? I mean, is that even applicable? Oh, sure. Yeah. We have competitors. Okay. I would say, in terms of, I mean, not to go all McCarthy and start naming names, but, you know, <laughs> <Mark Carthy. laughs> Baker Tilly, Jake Goff and Tom Black over there are really good guys. They used to do a lot of work for me when I was at Wolfpack and they're super knowledgeable, super nice guys. I like them a lot as people. Baker Tilly is a gargantuan, like just megacorp accounting, you know, multinational conglomerate with calling them competition is you know, it's like having a tugboat and pulling it up next to an oil tanker. I mean, they're yeah, they're both on the water, but they're not exactly the same thing. Uh -huh. So they have a small, compared to the whole, a small oil and gas outsourcing used to be, what do they call it before they got bought by Baker? Oil and gas business solutions. And so now that's like folded into the greater mothership of Baker Tilly. But Tom Black, Jake Goff, good guys, super knowledgeable as human beings, I have a tremendous amount of respect and affection for them. And then I would say probably more our actual size and in our wheelhouse and not part of a, you know, massive, you know, galactic empire would be EAG. I don't know. I keep an eye on them, obviously. Elizabeth over there is done. Yeah, she's been on here. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Several of her people have been on here. Yeah, they're great. Oh, I see how it is. Well, hey. 
as a woman the amount of respect i have for them is is i mean now you're assuming my gender madam (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding no she's done a lot she's done quite a bit you know their company is about the same size as ours they're doing more or less the same thing we are they've got more like it consulting and yeah yeah sort of some of that fringe stuff that we don't really do anything with at this point but from a sales and marketing standpoint i mean they've got a sharp website they've got you know a good presence i you know so yeah they're doing a great job can't argue with any of that you know i'm paid to say we're better than them so i think that yeah, but a girl power i mean <laughs> you know sure yeah <laughs> somebody cue the spice girls <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So throughout your entire career, what is your most important lesson learned? Ooh, throughout my entire career, not having had a lot of time to think about that, I think I'm going to fall back to pleasant honesty. (laughs) (laughs) I think has served me so well. Like I said, that made my career, it's probably hurt my career earlier in my wee little tot days. When I worked at Blue Cross, I don't think anybody much cared for my my honesty, but it was probably a little too brutal. And I didn't know anything. I was like 22. So oh, mm. what do I know about anything? <laughs> no, you know everything when you're 22, don't you know? I mean, I like to think that I did. Well, I think that I, probably I think that's a lot of people. I think that's a lot of people in their 20s. I mean, my kids think they know everything and they're in their early 20s. So. Yeah, I didn't much care for the bureaucracy. That we should talk about a bureau. You want to talk about just office space, the movie in real life? That was it. Really? Um, it drove me insane. I don't do well with bureaucracy. Yeah, red tape and I don't get along. So, but no, I would say probably, you know, just in general, honesty. Tell people the truth. Tell people, you know, your honest opinion about things. Sometimes they're going to like it, sometimes they're not. But if you're speaking from a well-informed, thoughtful position and you're not trying to tell someone what they want, when you, the high, and I mean, this happens to me now, is you get people that don't want to upset you or tell you something that they think you don't want to hear. And it's like, no, I don't care what idea wins, if it's mine or yours or someone else's. I care that the best idea wins. So yeah, be forthright, be honest, be bold and say what the truth is and whatever the situation is. And the other thing I would say that's, you know, more targeted to managers is your people. Okay. You're not the magic sauce. It's the people. They're the ones who are actually making your career happen. So appreciate them, take care of them, find the talent, keep the talent. That's the job. At the end of the day, according to all of the numbers, I'm very good at my job. And certainly my company seems to treat me like I am. But I don't do the real work. It's all of the people on my team that make the magic happen. It ain't me. Yeah, I found them. I keep them here, you know, sometimes against their will. You know, they have to exercise that authority. Joking. But, you know, I they're where all the talent is. And the moment you start thinking that you're just it, boy, you've lost. Because most of that work that's happening is a team of people that are making it happen for you. And you better appreciate that because that's where the magic is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's check your ego and don't get into all your feelings. Yeah. Now I won't let my team actually listen to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to be like, yeah, we do this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'll have to put down a mutiny or something. <laughs> exactly. I was just about to say that. All right. No, no. If you saw the office dynamic, I'm, you know, being prior military, I very much like the in the trenches together kind of thing. Oh, that's right. Where were you? Army? I was Air Force. Air Force, Air here. Force, Air Force. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I very much like the we're all in the trenches together mentality and we can bust each other's chops and I want people to feel free to speak openly and honestly about things. But also understand there's a chain of command and it's all fun and games, but when an order is given, an order is given and it's time to execute on it. And so that's kind of the mentality that I have groomed in all of my leadership positions is, yeah, we're going to have fun. But when it comes time to perform and the hammer drops, then we're rocking out and anybody's free to give me a different opinion, a different position, whatever, all the way up until a decision has to get made. And once it's made, that's the plan until we decide we need to change it. Yeah. Yeah. So how is your role now important to the future of our industry? 
Oh, the whole industry. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm so amazing <laughs> that the things I do affect all of them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I drop dead tomorrow, I don't even think it would get mentioned in any one of your podcasts. I think I might be upset, and I think I might do so. I think I'd have to have a moment of silence for A you. moment of silence? For sure. Yeah. While every person in your audience is like, who is this guy? Who cares? <laughs> for the whole industry. Well, I think... I don't know how much I can attribute this to my importance, well, but th- I would th- say that's that- not necessarily what I'm saying. I'm just saying the skills you have as far as leadership mm. go, your role, you know? Yeah. So I would say the oil and gas industry, and again, this is not like some sort of a shocking revelation. There's a bit of an age disparity in it. And there's, you know, it's there's kind of like this lost generation that never got into this business for whatever reason. And again, everyone's pointed this out. I'm not saying anything original here, but we suddenly have sort of this influx of young blood. And I would still fancifully at 38 call myself part of the young blood. Well, we're elder millennials. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Judging from how my back feels from sleeping on the wrong pillow last night, I am indeed an elder millennial. (laughs) Emphasis on elder. So there's a vast disparity in the age in our industry, right? And that's not a good thing or a bad thing other than the fact that eventually you're going to run into a body's deficit, right? In terms of people doing the work and with the skill sets and all of that versus the amount that needs to get done. I mean, that's basic economics. But what's really important and what I would like to challenge the current generation of leaders is to find your capable junior, younger employees and start giving them the opportunity to move up and grow and succeed. Because eventually these people, whether we like it or not, are going to be the ones running the show. Yeah. And they are the future. They're, they're the f- children of the future. <laughs> but what so often happens is we have a hard time letting go of that vine, right? And letting them take over. And there's also a very big generational gap in terms of thinking. I mean, if you talk to someone who's a COO, CEO, and an operator who's, you know, in their 70s, the way business is conducted is very different than how someone who's in their late 20s thinks, you know. Yeah. Just the way we communicate, the way that we talk to each other, what we think constitutes a good guy to do work with, you know, I mean. That good old boy system still exists in the oil patch, but the nature of that is changing as the generations change. And there's in our industry, there is not a bridging generation. So it's a much more sharp divide between the culture of what came before and the culture of what is coming and what is evolving today. Does that yeah. track or have I gone no, way out? No, no, no. I, I like what's going on here. I don't think it's spoken of enough. No, I don't think so either. But also, I'm not typically paying attention, so maybe it is. I don't know. So yeah, I mean, that's what I would say is important is to give folks like me, but probably the better, smarter ones than me, the opportunity to come up in their organizations and get responsibility and own things. I mean, listen, you can talk to, you know, Chad or Scott at Petroledger. They're one of the few human beings I still am accountable to on this planet, which the fewer people I'm accountable to, the better I say, or Brent <laughs> Rogers at Wolfpack. And they'll tell you, like, I'm a big believer in taking ownership of my organization, whatever it is, and I'm going to make decisions and, you know, I'm going to run with it. And sometimes you like them, sometimes you don't, whatever the case may be. But they were good enough to step back and say, okay, unless you're going to really torpedo something major, we're going to let you do this. And it's either going to work or it's not. And hopefully, you know, you'll learn from it either way. And so, yeah, I mean, you've got to let people develop, let them manage, let them make mistakes and understand that the gap in generations, it's going to look different than it did in the olden days. If I can say that without. (laughs) Oh, it's fine. Everything's fine. So do you have a favorite podcast? All my podcasts are entirely for entertainment purposes. I don't do, very rarely do I do a work-related podcast. So I would say probably my two favorite right now that I listen to pretty regularly would be Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, 
which I can somewhat relate to because I think all of my friends now just are employees of some level or another. <laughs> you know, anytime you can terminate a friendship and an employment in one document, that's efficiency, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> then they have to like you and do what you want to do. <laughs> So probably that, and this is going to be a very, very niche market of people out there, but pin Sunday school, if you enjoy, you know, the magician's pin and teller, which I do. But yeah, I would say those are the two podcasts that I probably listen to the most. I think there's something else floating around in my thing that I don't. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. There's a ton, but I can't. Yeah, I like pin and teller too. They're a hoot. They are. They're a lot of fun. Oh, I've been listening to Fast and Loose with, I think it's Will Arnett. That's the newest one in the docket. It's about, he's a new F1 fan and I like F1. And he's commentating the races. Oh, for, that sounds hilarious. Yeah, it pretty much is. So <laughs> that's, that's good. Well, all right. Thank you so much again for joining me, Jordan. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Poucher Ledger, how could they go about doing so? Sure. So if you want to reach out to me directly, uh, of course, you can check us out online, www.petro-ledger.com. Of course, we're all over LinkedIn. Do not send an email. <laughs> Do not. Yeah, don't email me. I am going to give you my email just because I feel like it's proper. But I mean, you know, use it at your own discretion. Actually, is that even a thing people give out on these things? Oh, yeah, you can. I mean, I'm not going to put a link would... to it because then you'll get spammed. Yes, I don't want that. If you feel the need to email me, don't know that you will or why you would, but Jay Driscoll, J-D-R-I-S-K-E-L-L at petro-ledger.com. And of course, like I said, LinkedIn and the website and all those good things. I'm out there. Awesome. I'm out there. I can be found. (laughs) Anything else to plug? Well, the one thing I will say is if you have a complaint about something I've said, then my email is probably... M. Lambright at Petro Ledger. That's my marketing manager. She can field all the hate mail. (laughs) That's fantastic. All right. That's the end of this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Awesome. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.